This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Welcome to the podcast Secrets of the North, a podcast about true crime and mysteries in Northern Canada. We are recording on the traditional and unceded territory of the Dunezaw peoples. I'm your host, Emily Gallen. And I'm your co-host, Janelle Lapraszynski. Our podcast may contain mature content. Listener discretion is advised. So actually, funny story, Janelle. Um, I looked at the clock and it was like 2.01 and I was like, oh, maybe she's maybe she's not coming. Maybe she's coming. We'll see. And I was like, you know what? If she doesn't come, you know what I was going to do? Hmm. I was just going to pretend to be you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the co-host, Janelle Lapashinsky. Hey, our podcast, you. Spooky oh. Corner. Oh, Spooky Corner. So yeah, that's, funny. That's what I was going to oh. do. I was uh, parallel parking and I looked, it was 12.01 and I was like, because <gasps> I had already done a loop this way. And yes. There was no parking, yes. so then I turned around the building, mm. and then I was coming in this way. Yeah, did you get Rockstar parking? No, I'm. I. It was really unfortunate though. Like as I was paralleling into my spot, there's like three vehicles in front of me to where yours is. Yes, and the car right behind yours was leaving as Rude. I was in finishing my pull out. I was like, damn it! But you pulled out. It was a seamless parallel park, as I always do. No. I am the parallel queen. I like that. You know, we don't have to do it often in this town because, yeah. like. We're in the north and huge parking spaces usually. Mm-hmm. It's a treat when I get to it do it nice. here because I used to have to do it like every day where I lived yeah, sure back enough. in Edmonton mm. and I was just like, wee, 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 wee. Oh, like, wee, 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 if wee. we went places and my friends need to like parallel it somewhere, I would make them get out and I would do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm great at it. I'm not going to say I'm bad at it. I really don't have an opinion on it. But also another perk is that we don't have to pay for parking here. Yeah. When I, I go to the city, that. no, I hate it. Actually, in Vancouver, I get free parking because of the veterans' license plates. Nice. Yeah, except for that one time that I got a, a big ticket, but I didn't park that van. That was not my fault. Oh, was it you? It wasn't me, but I got like it was like a two hundred dollar ticket. Woof. Yeah, for parking when they didn't want you to park. That's crazy. Gotta, I guess you gotta listen to the man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Janelle, what's up? What's new? How are you? Oh, uh, not much. New year. Yes, it is. New 2025. Year, new mm. December was crazy. December went by really it, freaking fast. It did. And I got sick. Yeah. And then I went to Palm Springs. Yeah, I was gonna say, you got to travel for your birthday. I forgot about that already. Birthday baby. Jeez. Looks like you had so great. much fun. Oh my God, I had the best time. Did you, I wanted to ask this before, but I was like, I have to wait. Did you go see the Trixie Motel when you were in Palm Springs? No, but we did go to another hotel that was like sick as fuck. Yeah. And uh, it had, um, the carpet was matched from The Shining. So they actually Mm. had it duplicated for the whole building. Very cool. It's amazing. I am obsessed with mid-century modern. Yeah. And Palm Springs that's all it is all the architecture that and like the spanish flair yeah. i was gonna say, i always Love thought it. of you as like an art deco kind of gal like that 20s like ah, i like my lines i like my i could lines. do you know what i can swing swing a few ways if you know what i'm saying and oh speaking of swinging palm springs um well swing gay district love it it yeah. was like enormous there. well they're all we went to the gay uh scene and we thought we were expecting to see like lots of people like more like in the 30s 20s you know it's old in palm springs i did it's they were all 60 year old men yeah there and then we're like hey where are all the lesbians at he's like well they're just they're around you know there's always some just 
hanging around. I'm like, oh, Jesus, oh, where are you God. hiding the lesbians? Yeah, yeah, where are they? <laughs> Show me your lesbians. Let them out. Let them be free. But everybody was so goddamn nice. Yeah. Like, it's because they're all old. It, all the Uber And they're all drivers, happy. They live in Palm Springs. Yeah. It was, it, like, I was swimming outside. Yeah. It was beautiful. Like, in December. Actually, I swam topless outside. Oh, I love that. <laughs> was the pool heated, too? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I know. It's Big cr- boners. I didn't understand, like, when I was younger, I guess, like, how important a heated pool was until I, I was lucky enough to travel to the States in, like, a December time. And I was in Arizona. And I'm like, it's 22 oh, degrees. Yes. I can swim in this pool. And the pool where cold. we were staying was not heated. And it was ice cold. It was like plunging in the snow. I need to go look into that, though, because I'm going to Arizona next month. Oh. <laughs> and just a little bit of a world traveler here. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it has a heated pool. Or maybe I go hot springs. Or maybe, you know what? I don't know. I really liked Arizona. I'm, I'm going to... I love the California. I'm going to love Arizona. I'm not going to want to come back here. No. So you might as well... This, this might be our last episode. <laughs> this is it. Okay. Everything's going to be virtual from now on. Yep. Just Skyping in for our our meetings. Yeah, just from the desert. Um, another update though, Janelle, is I randomly one night made a website for yes. us. <laughs> I, was, I like... was excited when I saw that. I was like, hell yeah, you did, mama. I, I, I had a burst of energy. And you made us a webby. I had a bottle of wine. Yeah. I made you a little, I made us a little webby. It's secretsofthenorthpodcast.weebly.com. Is it any good? I don't know. Do I care? I don't know. Fair enough. I think it was cute. I love that there is an amazing space where people can contact us and directly. And I think that that's going to be super impactful if you guys want to share anything, especially like something's going on. If you have like a missing or murdered family member that you want the truth to be told, please come and spread your voice. If you got a spooky story for Mm -hmm. me, please send it Mm -hmm. over. I am uh, actually a little, a little lacking. Oh, I've got a couple ideas on my spooks right now. I need, I would love some more local stories stories yeah is the biggest thing i really want to hear from the people well funny story is huh, average story i was talking to our cousin and he was talking about the nahini valley yeah and i was like well let me tell you a thing about the nahini and he knew a bit about it yeah he's like oh it's, the headless i was like what he knew he you know what's it's so funny he is old though my cousin and i talk on tiktok all the time and she sent me a video being like, you need to hear about this valley. And I was like, you need to go listen to my episode of yeah. our podcast Step the where I talk back. about What's it. her name? Call her Trina. Out. Trina. Trina, when Come you on. listen to this. <laughs> now, I don't, I, I mean, I hadn't told her I had a podcast. Oh, okay. Well, to be fair then. So it's like, and like, unless she had happened to see my story when I posted about it, like, so now she knows. Well, I'm and still Trina, holding it you're listening, her. I love you so much. She does love you. Well, okay. Speaking of local spooky stories. I put in my little update notes about my kid. I have to tell you this. Like, it's just a little, ah, should I save it for the spooks? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what? Saving that for the spooks. Save it for the spooks. Well, we're going to get to that then. So we'll start off today with our missing persons corner. Yes, um, please. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hurting. If you live in Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, y- you know what I'm talking about. We know, all know what's happening, yes. unfortunately. So there's quite a few current missing people's cases, and I'm going to report on them right now. The first one that I'm going to chat about is Renee Rose Didier Supernaut. So probably mispronounced that, but the last name is D-I-D-I-E-R and Supernaut, S-U-P-E-R-N-A-N-T. 
and she has been missing from the Dawson Creek, BC area since December 2nd, 2023. So just a few. Over a month. Yeah, a, a month ago. So if that last name does seem familiar to you, it's because this is the second woman missing recently from that area. Darylin Supernet, she previously was mentioned on the podcast, um, and she's been missing from Dawson area since March of 2023. Yes. And they are related. Yes, they are cousins. I, yeah, I was going to say, these women are cousins. So let's get into a little bit into this, um, just because I think it's important for everybody to, to know. It needs to be fresh on our mind. Yeah. So Renee was last seen on December 2nd, 2023, leaving Lone Star Nightclub in Dawson Creek, BC. It is out of character her for to go so long without contacting friends and family, so naturally everyone is really concerned. I spoke on the phone with a close friend of hers, and he let me know that he and others uh, are conducting ground searches. I don't know if it's still going on, but about a week or two ago, they were doing daily ground searches in Dawson Creek, and he did say that the RCMP really quickly jumped on the case and took it seriously, which is great. That's awesome to hear. Renee is described as an indigenous woman aged 41. In fact, she just turned 41 during the time that she's been missing. Yeah. Her friend even noted that it would be really unusual for her to miss her birthday celebration. Especially a milestone birthday. Like, I mean, well, 40 would have been milestone going into 41, I guess. It's, but still, I don't know. It's not a huge milestone, but every birthday is a milestone. Yeah. So it sounded like she liked to celebrate her birthday. Yeah. She is 5'10 and she weighs about 120 pounds. Her close friends want to get this message out to her. And I quote, Renee, your dad loves you. Your friends and your family love you. And we want you to come home end quote. So I will include um, the photographs on our Instagram as well, because they even put out some photographs of her at a gas station. So after the fact that when she went missing, that information came out. And then later on, we see some CTV camera footage from On The Run convenience store, also kind of known, I think, as Chevron gas station. And that's on, um, it's number 1304 on Alaska Ave. Dawson Creek, BC, and she was seen with a white Chevy truck. So if anybody has any dash cam photos, snaps, drone footage from December 2nd in the area of Dawson Creek, you can even be Rolla, Puskupi, heading to Fort St. John, heading to Grand Prairie. Yeah, if you were in that, that area, area. Yeah, if you noticed please anything. Please look back at your yeah, footage. Look at that. And her file number is number 23-8743. Um, just to give you that information. So you know if you want to call Crime Stoppers and what... And what have you. But now let's get to her cousin, Darlin. Yes. So she went missing and she's also an indigenous woman. And she was last seen March 15th, 2023 in Dawson Creek, BC. She's 29. She weighs 119 pounds and she's about, about 5'4". That's, I don't have too much information on her, um, but that's what the missing posters are saying. Now, I've just recently seen that there's a missing male. Yes. Okay. His name is Cole Hosack. H-O-S-A-K. And he was last seen in Dawson Creek at the Lone Star also Bar. Also leaving the Lone Star. Yes. On December 31st at 1.30 a.m. He was wearing all black and he only had his iPhone on him. So like you just said, both Cole and Renee both went missing from the Lone Star Bar in Dawson Creek or their last whereabouts were seen either there or just before they were there. Um, so who knows what... Well, we're, well, I mean, I think we need to chat a little bit about yeah. some like theories and thoughts about this, but for the listeners, if you don't feel comfortable calling in person, you can even submit tips to the Crime Stoppers over at the phone or online at 1-800-222-4877. Original, hit me with it. Let, let's, let, let's talk a bit about this. It's really interesting to me that two 
out of our three missing peoples have the same last seen location with mm-hmm. Cole being um, last seen like on New Year's Eve, January 1st, I guess, since it was 1.30 a.m. started there on the 31st, ended the 1st. And with Renee being there almost a almost a month to the day missing as well from the same location, it's it's kind of hard for us as humans to not want to see the pattern, not want to be like, could it be correlated? I mean, there's a huge chance that it's not, but there's also the slight possibility that like this could be related. And if it is, that's a whole other can of worms that we just don't have any real knowledge about. From the one thing I'm noticing about everything that Renee's family is saying and everything that I've seen from Cole's family as well is they are just not the type of people who would do exactly. this. Yep. Cole has a young Little son. son. Yep. He uh, has, a, he has a, a woman in his life that misses him very much. I yep. know that they also just lost a child. And so like I know they are going through, their, their family has already been through enough in this, in this last few months. They don't need to be going through the stress of losing the father, son, brother, mm-hmm. like Cole of their family member. It's just heartbreaking. My thoughts immediately go to, you know, we're we're at a bar, we're having fun. And why I kind of think this is because of all the murders happening there. Yeah. And just the complete hearsay word on the Facebook and street. Drug gang war. Yeah. Like a drug war. That's what makes me think about that. Um it's scary for sure. And, yeah. and where and no no access to their phones. Like they haven't been accessing their phone. They have not spent any money on their bank. Yeah. Cards I, the either. last thing I read said that he had the last activity on his phone was around three AM okay. on the first. So and he I don't was know last about Renee's, seen, but it was Yeah, I'm not too sure about not hers. Too either. long after. Um yeah. and like with Darylin, we don't have any I don't knowledge s- on the activity of what she had if they no. know where her phone is if she even like if they i don't think they yeah, haven't seen anyone write about it that with her unfortunately but it's just specifically the correlation between renee and cole they're just not the type of people to not reach out yeah and even renee she had a couple like opportunities i think coming her way her friend said she i think maybe just gotten some tickets i think she was planning maybe on moving to fort st john like things are looking up and that's typically not when People go missing, and especially in this day and age, we are always on our phones. Yes. And and when someone is not on their phone for a significant period of time and they've not spent money, I'm so glad the police are taking this seriously because it obviously needs to be. It needs to be taken very seriously. And I hope that we have answers very soon. My hope, of course, is for everyone to be found okay and Mm -hmm. just like maybe in some horrible circumstance where Mm -hmm. they got turned around or, you know, mental health is real. Well, next uh, episode, actually, Janelle, I'm going to cover the murders that have been happening in Dawson Creek and some recent some old I'm, I'm just going to give a little bit of a lay of the land as to what I've been able to read about what's going on obviously everyone is very tight-lipped they are for obvious reasons the RCMP don't give the public all the information although I I did just watch a documentary the other day and I think the guy's name is Kevin Donovan and he wrote about the billionaire murders in Toronto and then he did a documentary on them mm-hmm. and he's a journalist and I did find it interesting, his take on the public being allowed information, access to information. So I've done a little bit of research and I've kind of looked into trying to find ways to access access different court documents and stuff. Right. So going forward, you know, maybe I'll um, pay that $5 to try and get access to some information. Yeah. Some court documents, some court dockies. Be nice to have some like concrete things to talk about because a lot of the thing too, I think it's hard when we're kind of having these moments because it's all speculation. Yeah. Anything we're talking about is hearsay. Like it's not. Yeah. 
there holds we don't there's know. no weight <laughs> no, exactly and we could all be on a completely different wrong tangent than mm -hmm. like the cops are even going on yeah so if you guys have any information about any of these people that have been missing please please call crime stoppers you can call them over the phone at 1-800-222-4877 or online there you yeah. go there we go well janelle should i lighten the mood should i take us to a crime corner let's go since we missed yield christmas episode last month janelle i figured we'd do it now let's let's do it on christmas day in 1899 an incredibly ruthless act of premeditated murder occurred in the yukon three upstanding individuals frederick clayson lynn ralph and Lawrence Olson were ambushed and fatally attacked while traveling through Yukon River Winter Trail near Minto. The motive behind these horrible acts was a potential of valuable items. Clayson, engaged in business in Dawson City, and Ralph, who was working there, were en route from Dawson City to their respective homes in Skagway and Seattle. Olson, on the other hand, served as a telegraph lineman and he was stationed at the Five Finger Station. I love that name. Sticky five. Sticky five. As you can imagine, 1899 would not have been the easiest time to live in the cold north. And it wasn't only the cold north that made the living difficult, but it was the treacherous terrain those would have to face while traveling from one place to another. So let me set the stage for you, Janelle. I'm ready. According to Yukon History Trails, during the late 1890s and beyond, Riverboat travel to and from Dawson City during the Klondike Gold Rush was well documented, but it was only possible for less than half of the year. When the riverboat stopped running in late fall due to freezing conditions, travelers had only one option, the Yukon Winter Trail. In the fall of 1902, a more efficient option emerged with the completion of the White Horse Dawson Overland Trail, offering horse-drawn stages for a more comfortable journey. I wouldn't call it that comfortable. <laughs> no. Once the frozen river was safe to walk on, the river trail became the primary route for travel between Dawson and Skagway, accommodating various means of transportation like walking, biking, dog sleds, and a few horse-drawn sleighs. That's kind of badass. That's kind of fun. In late 1899, Frederick Clayson, Lynn Ralph, George O'Brien, and Thomas Graves embarked on this trail from Dawson City. Further south, telegraph lineman Lawrence Olson regularly used the trail for his work. When traveling this route, one could stop at various trading posts and rest stops. And I quote, According to the NWMP, by the fall of the 1898, there were about 35 roadhouses and stopping places, averaging 14 miles between them. End quote. There was a presence of RCMP along this route, and the posts that are related to the murders we're about to get into were discovered at three locations. Five Fingers, Hucheco, and Fort Selkirk, situated 39 miles north of the Hucheco River. You know, that is gotta be wrong, but we're just gonna go with the Hucheco River. The Hoochie-Coochie, okay? The Hoochie-Coochie. We're gonna keep on the Hoochie-Coochie. The Catahoochee. The two key Northwest Mounted Police officers involved in the murder case were Constable Patrick Ryan, soon to be promoted corporal, and he was stationed at the Hucheco, and Constable Alec Pennycook. A Pennycook. A Pennycook. A Pennycook. A penny for my name. And he was posted at Fort Selkirk. I mentioned the victims earlier in my segment, and I will tell you more about them soon, but let me start you off with the motivation of this crime and the men behind the savage Christmas murders. Oh, I'm ready. According to Yukon History Trails, 
born in 1864 <laughs> in Jersey, British Channel Islands, George Andrew Martin, Lane O'Brien, Jesus Christ, this guy's name. Hello. Okay. Name. Well, he moved from Birmingham, England with his older sister and younger brother by 1881, where he worked as a blacksmith at the age of 16. Yeah, that's rough. That is a hard life. That is not what I want to do at 16. Jesus. I mean, blacksmith. What other choice would he have had? In 1881, nothing. I don't know. <laughs> like farmer. Poverty or blacksmith. <laughs> In 1888, at 24, O'Brien faced charges for attempted murder and was convicted of causing grievous bodily harm with intent to rob, resulting in a seven-year sentence at Dartmoor Prison. And he was released in 1894. Okay. Okay. So he started young. Okay. Continuing. O'Brien was released from prison in 1894. O'Brien's arrival in Canada and the Yukon is uncertain, but he was in Dawson City by May 1898. And during this time, he proposed a plan to rob travelers on the river trail to a man named Chris Williams, which involved murdering the victims and concealing their bodies under the ice. This partnership never materialized, thankfully. Yeah. Oh my but, gosh. But time will tell. If you keep asking, they're sure you, you might find someone who's into it. Fair enough. Yeah. You just got to find the right crazy for your crazy. And then in September 1898, O'Brien was arrested in Dawson City for theft and sentenced to hard labor Ooh. on the NWMP woodpile. So that would be the uh, Northwest Mountain Police. He did escape, though. He, he is he's a, slippery. a guy. <laughs> he did. He escaped in December, but was recaptured later the same month. And he received an additional six sentence for his escape. While in jail, he also shared his robbery and murder plan with a fellow inmate, George West, known as Kid West. But West, like the other guy, didn't accept the offer. My guy, O'Brien, jeez. Yeah. Okay, if no, no one wants to, no one wants to do this, O'Brien. No one but you. O'Brien's discussions with Williams and Kid West revealed that while robbery was his motive, murder was part of the plan. He doesn't know how to take no for an answer. No. What, what would you do? What would you do if O'Brien came up to you? If somebody came up to me and was like, I have this master plan, I would say eat rocks. I'd tell them put rocks in your bum. Yeah, no way. On September 16, 1899, O'Brien was released from jail in order to leave the Yukon. Get out of here. Evicted. Undesirable. Shame. Shame. Away with ye. I mean, also good riddance, O'Brien. At some point during his incarceration or after his release, he did find someone he partnered up with a man named thomas graves whose background and true identity remain largely unknown aside from a potential english connection now thomas graves was more persuaded than the others it seems because he headed south from dawson city with o'brien that winter and they were noted to have stopped along the way at various roadhouses with their two large dogs. Behind them, they would leave a trail of theft and gossip that would eventually lead RCMP officer Penny to pursue two men. And I quote, On December 14th, Penny Kuick, henceforth name is Penny, received a warrant for the arrest of two men for things they were suspected of doing previously north along the river. When he went to the camp to arrest them, they were gone. However, more complaints of thefts came in, leading Penny to believe O'Brien and Graves had not gone far. Shortly after Constable Penny visits their Hell's Gate camp, great name, name of an ex-sex tape, O'Brien Graves left and arrived at Fussell's Roadhouse at Old Minto late in the evening on December 12th. Witnesses recalled the presence of a large yellow dog accompanying the two men. So we've got the connection going on yeah. here. 
definitely. After leaving that roadhouse, O'Brien and Graves traveled two miles south and took up residence in an abandoned cabin on the east side of the river. This cabin was known as the Arctic Express Company Cabin, originally built by a short-lived mail and express service operation. They stayed there for several days, busily stockpiling stolen supplies from caches. Once again, the unmistakable presence of the big yellow dog marked their location. And caches, um, I believe back in the day, were was like docking points? Like, like a docking part um, on the river, maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. Like that... I have henceforth. I, that's what it is. Yep. There's I don't no way know, to know. But we declare. We declare. Ah, declare bankruptcy. <laughs> a few days later, the two men moved further south. This time, two and a half miles, and to the opposite west side of the river, closer to the local man's cache that they were pilfering from. From the river trail, they ventured about eleven hundred yards up the pork trail before creating a new trail six hundred yards into the woods. Now, this is very specific information because they. There are some historians who have researched this case to the to the T and they have maps and they know all these directions that they could tell you the exact pinpoint. Like where they were, yes. where they went. Yes, like it's everything. wild. It's wild. So from there, they did go into the woods and they constructed a tent. Um, it was a log frame. and They covered it with a canvas roof. So a nice and hidden. Um, and this all occurred just a few days before Christmas. All right. Returning to the previous camp, O'Brien and Graves created an outlook by felling 27 trees extending to the river. This setup provided them with a clear line of sight to the point where the river met the trail, allowing them to monitor approaching individuals, maybe even choosing their potential victims. O'Brien, perhaps, for this specific purpose, possessed field glasses, or known as binoculars, <laughs> for this specific occasion. They had now established the ideal conditions for the arrival of their suitable victims. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of the crime itself, Janelle, I want to circle back to the unsuspecting victims who would come upon this trap. All right. Yeah. First, we have Frederick Hughes Clayson, born on June 1st, 1872 in Port Madison, Washington. Frederick and his older brother, William, ventured north during the Klondike Gold Rush, bringing with them substantial load of merchandise. They established a store in Skagway named F.H. Clayson and Cofitters, and Frederick even conducted some periodic business trips up to Dawson City in 1898 and 1899, with reports suggesting he engaged in gold transactions during his visit. So he had some money. His final journey to Dawson took place in early November 1899. And on December 15th, while O'Brien and Graves were involved in their suspicious activities almost 200 miles to the south, Frederick Clayson set out from Dawson on a bicycle. I mean, and that also caught me because I said, I'm like, they had bicycles in the 1800s? Like, huh? <laughs> what? Yeah. So, of course they did. Yeah. So... He took his bicycle and he traveled south along the Yukon River Trail. His destination was Skagway, where he planned to rejoin his brother William in the family business. He expected to cover the distance swiftly on a well-packed trail. Next, we have Lynn Wallace Ralph, born May 19, 1876 in St. Louis, Missouri, who belonged to a prominent family. Lynn embarked on a Klondike Gold Rush adventure himself after he left Seattle in August 1897, aiming to reach Dawson City by September 25th. Very specific. He had a... He, he had a goal. Yeah. He, he had an agenda. A, a schedule. A schedule. A schedule. A schedule. 
Throughout his journey, Lin remained a devoted son, corresponding with his mother. On September 6th, he wrote that having crossed the White Pass from Skagway, he was just 13 miles from Lake Bennett, far ahead of a larger group of gold seekers. Presumably, he did reach Dawson City that fall, and over the next two years, reports indicated that he worked in various roles, including a gold weigher, a bookkeeper, a cashier, and a bartender. Hey, busy guy. Yeah, he got around. Mm-hmm. In October of 1898, he made a trip back to Seattle to visit his mother and sisters. A little over a year later, he planned another journey home to Seattle, but this time he would not reach his destination. I find it wild how people can find out so much information about people in the 1800s. I mean, if you had like a very specific paper trail, because everything was on paper, like I worked here, I worked there, and then... The gold rush, like they said, was very well documented. Yeah, so as long as somebody was like really good at keeping all of those documents and, you know, you have those local historians that love to filter through those papers and find them all and be like, oh, hey, this is the same person and this is the same person. So I I think that we're just lucky to be a type of culture and and people who love to know what other people did because we're Snoopy. Yeah, we're Snoopy. We're Snoopy. We want to know what other people did. Well, let me tell you more about what happened. Lynn didn't even have a bicycle. He actually traveled by foot. That's that's impressive and ridiculous. It's it's rude. That's what it is. You know you want something. You do. A couple of days after leaving Dawson, Ralph caught up with Clayson, who was walking his bicycle after breaking its pedal. Oh, oh, oh that's so he's just walking along. You, that's the worst. You, you bring this piece of transportation, you think it's going to be reliable. And then it breaks on you, and then you have to walk it 14 miles. I mean, in the winter. At least he didn't just ditch it. Like, good for not littering, but at the same time. But this is in December. Yeah, why? There are snowstorms. Yeah. There, it is minus 40. How You could leave it earth? somewhere, and it would probably be where you left it when you come back. How on earth? I Okay. It's a lot. Okay, there's no way to know. For most of the following week, the two men journeyed together. Aw. Buddies. During the overnight stay at Fort Selkirk on December 21st, Clayson sent a telegram to his brother, informing him to expect his arrival in Skagway on December 28th. On Christmas Eve... Clayson, pushing his bicycle, and Ralph, on foot, arrived at Fussel's Roadhouse in Old Minto in the late afternoon. They had covered 196 miles from Dawson and decided to enjoy a good night's rest before continuing their journey southward on Christmas Day. They are, I think they earned it. Yep. Oh, Just a little they, napsky. And there wouldn't have been indoor plumbing. Oh, God, could you imagine? Just, you don't even get a hot shower, goddammit. I mean, are you sad you're missing out? Because do they know any different? No. We're just sad. We just would be sad if we had to go through that now. Because we're so spoiled. Yeah, we'd be spoiled. Another gentleman named Lawrence Olson is far more mysterious and not much is known about him except that he was working at some point as a linesman and he also stayed over at the same roadhouse that evening. Okay. On Christmas morning, Clayson, Ralph, and Olson all together left the Fusil Roadhouse and continued their journey southward. So they picked up a little guy around yeah, along the way. Another friend. Yeah, pals. Olson kindly invited Clayson and Ralph to join him on Christmas dinner at the Hucheco Northwest Mounted Police's post. And that was about a relatively short trip away, which would have taken them about four or five hours. So approximately six miles from the roadhouse, O'Brien and Graves were waiting at their lookout point, and they spotted the potential targets approaching them on the trail. There is no evidence to suggest that O'Brien and Graves knew the identities of these men, so they likely made a decision to attack at that moment. Yeah. 
O'Brien and Graves proceeded to ambush Clayson, Ralph, and Olson at gunpoint, forcing them onto a 125-yard trail that O'Brien and Graves themselves had cleared. With thick vegetation hindering any escape, this short, narrow trail, referred to as Death Alley by some newspapers, quickly became the intended site for the execution. When the bodies were found, they had been stripped of their clothing and possessions, and I quote, the bodies were stripped of clothing that may have contained valuable items, and those were hauled up a bank, probably in a sled pulled by two dogs, and onto the trail that led to the top of the cut bank on the river. At some point, the bodies were dragged down the cut bank and dumped into a hole in the river. Clayson's bicycle may have also been put in the water, but it was never seen again. So it sounds like they, unfortunately, the execution style, Yeah, they took the possessions that they had, everything they had, and then they drug them down to the river. Uh, they must have had a pre-hole set. Rude. I don't like it. Yeah. it's. I mean, the only comfort in it is how fast it was for them. They didn't make them suffer. Doggy dog world out there, like in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. My gold or your even... gold. You know? Oh, yeah. It was a very, very rough time. The articles of clothing removed from the bodies were taken back to the tent that O'Brien and Graves were staying in. Most of it was burned, actually, some in the stove and some in an outside fire. Left behind at the murder site were a number of items that had been removed or fallen from the bodies, as well as blood and some human body fragments that indicated exactly what took place there. All this was later undiscovered in a painstaking investigation and would serve as evidence in the trial of George O'Brien. Now, O'Brien moved along after this, and he was even known to have traveled with uh, with others for weeks, but his partner Graves was never heard of nor mentioned to O'Brien's new traveling companions ever. So, two mm. bad guys, now one bad guy. Yeah. Let's, well, I'll, I'll get to it for you. Ooh. Oh, it's coming. He almost made it to the American border. Fortunately, people were actually noticing the missing men and had gone out to look for them. Corporal Ryan set out to various roadhouses to inquire about Olson, and he found out that Olson had left the roadhouse with Clayson and Ralph on Christmas Day. So, Corporal Ryan sets out to the bush and actually discovers the campsite located with the stolen goods. He decided it's time to call on the big guns, and he enlisted the help of Corporal Penny. Around January 3rd, 1900, they sent out a wire to all the Northwest Mounted Police headquarters requesting that all posts along the river be vigilant for two suspected thieves operating under the names Miller and Ross. So they even had an alias. Yeah, they changed their names up. Penny left Fort Selkirk to meet with Ryan. And on his way, he stopped at a tent and noticed that the stove there had some distinctive figure eight holes in the stovepipe. The same he had seen at the Hell's Gate camp. So, okay, it sounds like Penny coming in. Penny's the big guns. He's coming on in. He sees this tent. He notices a distinctive uh, figure eight holes. And then he sees another one. Okay. Detective. <laughs> Detective. Doing his job. After my own heart. God bless him. So Penny did return to Fort Selkirk on January 5th and received a message indicating that inquiries were being made regarding an overdue traveler, Frederick Clayson, who was heading to Skagway. Penny sent a wire to Dawson, reporting that three men had left Fussell's Roadhouse together on Christmas Day, and two of them, Olson and Clayson, were now missing. He also mentioned that the individuals known as Miller and Ross, who had not been yet located, were accompanied by two big dogs, one of which was a large yellow dog. Dun dun dun! Uh, oh, doggone darn it! 
doggone. George O'Brien likely had no intention of going near the NWMP post in Tagish, but circumstances led him there when his horse broke down near the ice and entered the water. Seeking to dry and warm the horses, he brought them up to the post barracks, where he was found in possession of a police-issue winter fur robe. Ah, O'Brien claimed that he'd received a replacement when the police in Dawson lost his original robe. Mm. Liar. Liar, liar. Pants okay. on fire. So he's impersonating an officer. Naughty, naughty. Sergeant George Graham detained him and then sent a telegram to Dawson to verify O'Brien's account, including details about the big yellow dog. Yes. A return telegram later that day confirmed that O'Brien had indeed received a government for a robe in Dawson and he'd been in their custody. Consequently, Sergeant Graham released him with plans to continue his journey to Skagway the next day. Rats. He's like... <laughs> You're fine. You're good. I cleared it up. I'll see you later. Also, I'm kind of impressed with telegrams. All right. It's, it's insane. It's the way of the future. However, someone in the Dawson RCMP noticed a connection between Sergeant Graham's telegram to Dawson and an earlier one sent by Dawson with information from Penny. Both telegrams mentioned the distinctive big yellow dog, prompting Dawson to send another telegram instructing Graham to arrest O'Brien on suspicion of theft. Perfect. <laughs> they're like, go get, go back and get them. Yeah, they're like, no, no. Nah, nah. We're wrong. Nah, nah, nah. That evening, Constable Thomas Dickens. Hmm, That's a good name. Dickens down. Was dispatched. Was dispatched. Was dispatched. <laughs> well, he was dispatched to the Tagish village to arrest O'Brien. Okay, so we'll go get him. Tagish marked the southmost point O'Brien would reach. He remained in the RCMP custody for another month and a half before being transported back north along the Yukon River to Fort Selkirk to face charges for the theft. Around this time, a big shot detective named McGuire, and I'm going to pause you right there and just say, holy balls deep, there are a lot of names in this story. Can't keep them straight, but okay, we got big shot. We got McGuire, okay? He's been sent in to aid the investigation and was actually the one who found the murder site. Remember, at this time, they were still looking for the missing men. So they have found O'Brien. They have arrested him. They let him go. They got him back. They know and he's shady. Yeah. So they're keeping him. They're keeping him. One day while out searching, McGuire and his huskies, hashtag huskies, approached the riverbank. When his dogs became highly agitated, sniffing around a specific area of snow. So McGuire decided to secure the dogs and start digging in that spot carefully removing the overlaying snow layers until he reached a compacted layer further down. Here, he uncovered a substantial patch of frozen, blood-soaked snow. Oh, no. Later to be determined to mark the locations where Lynn Ralph had met his demise. McGuire proceeded to clear snow along the trail, and as he neared the riverbank, he revealed another blood-stained area, indicating the spot where Frederick Clayson had mm. lost his life. Isn't it crazy Ran that snow it. will preserve that and like you can just doop 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 dust some off and you can find yeah. blood soaked spaces and like whereas if it was in the it's summertime frozen. and had been done on the soil the soil would have just eventually absorbed all of that yes. plasma and it would be gone like there's something so cool about snow and how it preserves crime scenes a lot for us science but, but then sometimes it ruins crime scenes because yes, years yes, only the footprints. elements and then you're like, it's snowed, they're gone. <laughs> the one benefit about living in the North. On March 22nd, Constable Penny accompanied McGuire to inspect the blood discoveries. Then they went to the top of the cut bank, where Penny surmised that it would have been a suitable place to drag the bodies down and conceal them under the ice. Mm. His conviction grew as he climbed down the bank and noticed threads of clothing stuck on it. Oh, gosh, yep. Evidence is just piling up here. Yeah. According to the Yukon History Trail... 
Penny also observed that the trees were cut to create a trail that appeared to be done by a dull axe, mm. featuring an identical nick in it. Oh, yeah. So you could, mm -hmm. you know, everyone was done. So, like, if the blade had a bit of a chunk out of it, you yes. could see that in the cuts. So instead of ballistics forensics, we got axe. Axe forensics. Axe forensics. Mm, okay. Upon reaching O'Brien and Graves' lookout spot, they observed that the trees which had been cut down to establish the sight line over the river had been cut with that same nicked axe. There we go. Upon further inspection at the tent site, they confirmed that the logs used for that tent were also the same axe. All right. It's piling up. Later on, it was established that the axe used to cut all those trees was among O'Brien's possessions when he was in the jail dun, in Dawson. Dun, dun. Bingo wow. bongo. It's as good as fingerprints. Penny had another significant revelation in store for that day. He had brought O'Brien's big yellow dog with him from Selkirk, where O'Brien was being held. At the lookout, Penny released the dog and uttered, Go home. The dog ran down the pork trail, turned up the trail leading to the bush where the tent was located, and laid down under a tree with a wire that could be used to tether a dog. There was no doubt that the dog had remained there, even if only for a few days, but it had been there long enough to remember. This also indicated that George O'Brien had been present at that location. Yes. According to the Yukon History Trails, and I quote, On May 4th, the ground search ended after almost three months of investigation at the Arctic Express Company cabin area, the tent site, and the murder site. It was estimated that about 200 cubic yards of snow was removed, the equivalent of 20 dump truck loads. Oh, wow resulting in the collection of around 400 pieces of evidence, but still no bodies. Mm. It wouldn't be until May 1900 that the bodies would start showing up as the ice thawed. As the ice thawed, mm -hmm. yeah. All three men's bodies were found and given proper burials. Good. Yep. Apparently, no one was able to contact Olson's family, though, and he is buried in Dawson City. Oh, wow. Yeah. Justice would come, though, on June 22nd, when Judge Dugas delivered his verdict, stating that O'Brien was to be executed by hanging on August 23rd. During the trial, O'Brien didn't testify on his own behalf, but he proclaimed his innocence with outbursts on multiple occasions. Loser. Yeah. From the time of his sentencing until his hanging, he consistently rejected any attempts to get in a confession and he continued to say he was innocent a snake till the end on the day before his execution he even wrote a statement to that effect and uh i know we toss out the narcissist vibe a lot but i mean it's giving me narcissist vibes it is it's yeah. giving me ted bundy like it's giving me the, i'm the better bravado. than everybody yeah. you could never figure it out it wasn't me i'm too smart for you yes, that's what it's giving me not hey, yeah now this is interesting to know 100 passes were given out to individuals and they were allowed to enter Dawson City Courtyard and witness the execution. Oh. Uh, I mean, it, it some was people go thing. watch the horse races. Some people go watch the executions. It was a thing. You would just go and see the executions it, like funny. everywhere across the Americas and Europe. Like It was just, we liked to watch people die. Ugh, what a morbid little tradition. Oh, we, we, we are just little morbid people. Gross. On August 23rd, 1901, at 7.34 a.m., George O'Brien's life came to an end on the gallows. He was buried in a designated area in Dawson, alongside the graves of other executed individuals. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry fucking Christmas. Dang. Ah, oh, my well, Good riddance. Yeah.
Peace. Wow. What a tale. Like, like you said, just dog eat dog world. Cut. It was li- probably literally survival. goats. hundred percent. I wonder, I would be interested to see the murder rate differences between the 1800s and now. I feel like it, it has more. to be way, I feel like way more, more people motive. killed people back in the day. There was way more motive. I mean, yeah. I just imagine like old west fucking gunslings happening in the street like slinging guns slinging yeah and, all and over people the place. they were put to death for all sorts of things witches yeah the witch trials <laughs> which is something i would love to cover eventually because uh canada had its own little version i would like to cover that too i'd also like to hear a word from our sponsors ayo sponsies hey! <laughs> All right, Janelle, spook me. Actually, can I spook you? I was going to say, I want to hear the story about your kid. Okay. 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 This is, it gives me the heaps and the jeeps. Okay. I'm sleeping. It's, I don't know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., over Christmas holidays. It's dark, obviously, pitch black. And my kid comes in and she's eight and she's like upset and she's covered. She's got a towel around her and she's like wet. And I'm like, what the hell? I apparently she decided to just take a bath oh i'm like can you not do that when i'm asleep yeah first off second off what's up so she said she was in the bathtub and a man's face came like popped out on the side of the curtain like this like scary man's face and i can't remember if she described it to me or if i just have my own description of it right but it gave me i got goosebumps it like she thought like she was like she saw that yeah and she was like and i was so scared and i tried to like close the curtain and and obviously I, well, I mean, she probably just saw like a shadow or something it could have been or she could have seen what she believes she saw because why else would you like why would you say i saw a man's face like i saw a man scary man's face yeah it's like but no one's there and, and, and i she's yelled never at him. like she's never said something like that before ever yeah so i don't think it's something she would just make up. up i hope it's not a bad person maybe maybe it was like um because one thing that i Krampus? Krampus. <laughs> Krampus was like, you're being bad. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of that fucking tub. Hey, hey, oh my God, what if? What? Because this is what What I'm, if this person saved her from that's drowning? That's what I'm thinking. So I'm thinking like one of a belief that I have is that our ancestors are more prone to be around us all the time. Okay, and if yeah. you call on your ancestors for protection, they'll always be there for you because you, your bloodline is strong. Blood relation is strong and blood magic is strong. So it could have been like an older family member like maybe like your grandfather That's or so something cool. and they're like what are you doing like just you know like gave her the spook of her life because they I were like you can't be again. taking a tub alone in yes. the middle of the night without mom like yes. you're not old enough for that yet <laughs> have you ever heard of the third man the third man theory uh it's yes it's when you're in an accident yeah and you somebody helped you out of the car and yeah. you're like where's that person and they're like there was yeah. no one there so apparently it can be that it can also just be a voice mm-hmm. um or like a brief image like um so can, yeah i mean okay there we go we so solved it i'm thinking it could but have why just... scary then maybe to just get, scared to get her. the reaction <gasps> to get the and immediate reaction of, of i need to get out of the tub right now well thanks spooky bitches thanks whoever that spooky bitch was i love it (laughs) thank you okay i love that okay well now take me yeah okay i i have something kind of fun um i have a really amazing story that i got to listen to from another really cool podcast there it's called strange familiars 
um, hosts. His name is Travis. I'm actually not too sure if he's hashtag Travis if he's in um, Canada or not. But he did okay. cover this story and actually had these guys on the podcast. So this is like a direct telling of their experience, and I'm really excited Shit. to talk about them because they were camping in the Hope area, not okay. Hudson's Hope, like Hope further yep. down by the Fraser Valley. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna split this story into two parts. Yeah. So I'm gonna tell you the first split half of it today, me. and we'll go over the second oh, half shit. of it in our next episode. Okay. 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 Tease. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just jump into it. We're gonna talk about two guys. Their names Alex and Colin. So Alex is actually really really fucking cool. Okay. He is a driftwood artist and travels all over BC and. Um, puts up these like sculptures and things like that. I wonder like if that. he goes to Chetwind for their um I was actually I was wondering cuz I know he specifically does driftwood but I was kind of like does he do more carving things like that it'd be pretty cool if he came to Chetwind and um maybe we could see him this summer. But anyway, so on this particular time they or Alex specifically was going to Penticton to put up some type of sculpture okay. Love and he Shout wanted out. to um, bring his friend because it's a long drive from the island it was like a full day right yeah no, so yeah. him and colin drive to penticton they deliver the sculpture i don't know exactly what it was um but what kind of music were they listening to on the way oh, they just said tunes they said good mm, tunes okay and i know that they grunge. also brought um a dog i don't know if it's alex's dog or if it was colin's dog but they did have a pupper with them was it a big yellow dog it was not a big <laughs> i mean it could have been a big I yellow mean, dog. Things they, are, things they are sounding not... a lot like Christmas 1899. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So um, they decide to break up the trip. The, to go back home, they said, we're not going to drive all the way back to the island tonight. It's just too long of a drive. Like, let's break it, it up in camps. You know. How old are they? Uh, I want to... Let's, let's, let's make it up. I want to say it's like around... They're probably like in their late 20s, early 30s. Okay. Hot. hot, um, hot. Or possibly like to mid-20s. I would say like late Even 20s, hotter. early 30s. Perfect. Yeah. The best age. They're visualizing. Um, so these guys... <laughs> These guys are like deciding we're going to take a break. They did bring a tent, so they're all set up to camp and everything. Okay. Um, so they stop off in Hope because they want to be near the Fraser it's Valley. Nice it's a gorgeous area. They think this is going to be a perfect spot to camp. It's getting a little chilly. It's late August, so it gets cooler in the evening for sure. Okay. And they just didn't have any like hoodies or anything like that. So they decided to stop into a thrift store in town Aww. and just grab like oh, yeah. a couple sweaters That's so smart. that they would, because they weren't 100% they weren't sure. Yeah. It. They had the camping stuff, but they weren't for sure, for sure if they were going to spend the night. So they needed something warm. It's okay. August, of course, in lower mainland. They're going to not be wearing hoodies. Yeah. yeah it's so it's going to be, especially coming from Penticton, it's probably plus 30 Celsius all yeah. summer. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's cooking. So they, they're in Hope and they go into this quick thrift shop just to grab some warm clothing. And as Alex is checking out, he notices behind um, the clerk, there's all these UFO books. And he just asks her about them. And it was actually her husband who had written them. And then they were there and, for like five and, hours. And they were there. And so he, of course, yeah, starts talking about experiences. And he's very into like the woohoo and like loves, you know. Just, I'm also into the woohoo. We all are. And so they My start woo-woo. having this conversation. And while they're having this conversation, there is this older woman kind of in line behind him. Eavesdropping, of Duh, course, like obviously. as you do. And, as you're um, entitled to. And then out of Alex is just like, you know, we're actually going to be camping here tonight do you know of any good places yeah. that we can go camping and the woman kind of starts like humming and hawing and this older lady in the line speaks up come back to my and, house. <laughs> and she goes Hansel, union bar road 
Oh, and oh, he's like, and then the clerk lady's like, oh, yeah, you sh- Union Bar Road, there's these sand flats down there just off the road. And it's kind of this really beautiful area off the river. I mean, okay. you can be right on the Fraser River and it's so a really nice area. Maybe something more just locals knew about. Like, it definitely, okay. like they both knew right away. Um, so Colin is getting hit. Alex, like I said, Alex is checking out. Colin comes up with his sweater mm-hmm. and um, is about to like, get checked out and things and then this woman interrupts their interaction and is like i want to see that sweater and there's like a sweater hanging up and there's just like a weird interaction of her just like cutting into their their stuff and um they described her as um babushka looking woman with a bright red mushroom shaped wig oh sweet jesus um, i am in so then at this point they she had a bowl cut a bowl cut wig a bowl cut wig bright red little mushroom so Alex is saying, hey, like, I think we're, we might go here. This lady knows of a spot near Union Bar Road. Okay. And then this older woman pipes in again after, like, the weird interruption moment. And she's like, it's in the bush. It's in the bush. That's and she what she keeps said. saying it, it's in the bush. Um, she said it probably at least four or six times. And um, she kept repeating it over and over as the clerk lady. Her name was actually um, Michelle. I thought you were going to say bush. <laughs> she was drawing them directions okay. on how to get there. And as she was drawing it. This lady was like, it's in the bush. It's in the bush. <laughs> um, so that's just a little odd. It's delightful. So Colin and Alex buy their sweaters. They dip. They decide to go and they follow these directions yeah. down a really log, long, bumpy logging road. Um, and then they come up on some camp spaces. There's like a bunch of old cabins and you okay. can see that people had been there, there, but it's all abandoned and there's a lot of garbage. They mm. were actually quite disappointed to like see how much it hadn't been like really cared that for. does fucking suck. It, i hate oh that. it grinds my gears when i go to some place and it's like you know you're supposed to like yeah take nothing leave nothing you know it's just there's a hot springs i want to go to in arizona next month and i was looking at the photos of it and i was like nah not going <laughs> oh my God, no. so um they assumed that there's probably just like a lot of older fishing camps there as well because there was a lot of like shacks and tents and drying racks there was even like old fish that had just been abandoned like hanging there for a really long time um and they assumed that people hadn't been there for quite some time it's not like they had just left but like like they just had abandoned yeah they had just abandoned all of these camps and it seemed that people had not been there for a very long time okay weird um so they were just like whatever we want to just be around the view of the Fraser Valley and its beauty and it's just, it's gorgeous. Both the guys felt really good with the spot that they found. Um, okay. They decided to set up the tent. It was at an empty, um, an empty picnic table and they, you know, get the fire going, get some tunes on mm-hmm. and Alex is like, I'm going to go get a drink from the truck. So he get turns it. around get it, Alex. and starts like with walking to the truck. With your old body. Just <laughs> <laughs> and um, there is half of a bottle of orange crush and two green apples Weird. sitting on the picnic table Wait, like that when he comes was now back? empty yeah so he they like set up camp and he goes to walk to his truck but and the t- picnic back. table that was empty now has a half drink bottle of a orange half drink and two green apples first off where's my other half where <laughs> who drank the first half of this um Alex says 100% in the podcast he goes on. He's like, I know for sure there was nothing there. I even asked Colin, like, hey, did you pop these here? Like, I don't remember them being here. And Colin was like, nope. 
and so they just chalked it up to them not being like super aware of their surroundings maybe like maybe they just missed it and they were like oh it's closely empty they kind of really wanted to weasel their way around but alex was very adamant throughout the episode um and in going in towards the whole story that he is the type of person who's very aware of his surroundings okay so myself he has had experiences before he's very aware of like what's around him what not to touch what if it's been moved like he is a very visual person so he feels very strongly that he knows there was nothing on that table so a little odd i'll trust him right so whatever um alex grabs his drink they go back to the fire they're having dinner you know they're just having a good time camping and at that point alex needs to go back to the truck to get another drink for them at some point Mm -hmm. and when he goes back the crush bottle is no longer on the table um it's on the bench of like the seat of the picnic table and the apples are gone i hate it so they're like that is a little weird so immediately of course alex asks colin if he took them would the dog have eaten them that's kind of what i first thought too but they said the dog like never moved mm. never like really reacted to anything and, either and would a dog eat an apple no i don't know if you didn't if a dog ate apple you'd hear it especially if it was that close yeah you'd see remnants yeah of it yeah 100 percent. so um alex of course like i said asked colin he said didn't move them they kind of think maybe it's an animal or like they didn't know like maybe a squirrel ran off with them or something and they just Mm. didn't realize it how do you like them apples right like (laughs) um but alex is kind of like i said he definitely picks up the vibe and he is picking up a vibe that this might be a gifting from sasquatch or a sasquatch so there are some beliefs and people that believe the phenomenon of gifting between um sasquatch and people where you like put a rock out and then the rock will be gone and a different rock will be there or you put out like a piece of fruit and then the fruit's gone but then like an acorn is replaced okay okay there is this kind of um lore that you that some sasquatch are willing to communicate in that way i've not seen a ton of it a lot of the stuff that i've read um when i just kind of was like wanting to look into gifting more for us it's very split 50 people are like never interact it's scary why are you doing that it's the same as any other mythical possible creature well, you're you don't calling interact yeah and then other people are like it's a good way to let them know you're not there to hurt them and it's a good way for them to let you know they're not there to hurt you so neither of you have to be scared when you're in the same area it's a 50 50 chance i don't want to be involved in it's yeah exactly so um i actually found a really interesting article about a guy who claims he's been like gifting with a sasquatch for years is this the guy from tumblr ridge british columbia i don't th- i think it's a different person okay. but i know because guy... i know there's locals too so i did um i will have a link okay. for that so it'd be pretty cool um so alex and them alex and colin are just like kind of fascinated with the idea that it might actually be a gift um and alex was like i bought peaches when we were in penticton so penticton the land of the peaches exactly so he decides to go place two peaches on a stump about a minute up from their camp on the road i've got i have to interrupt for just one second because i have a great fucking apple story (laughs) okay i'm sorry but years ago thanksgiving dinner i bring these apples these baked apples but they have the the caramelized like like oats and all that shit in them deliciousness very delicious i don't know that they were not that people don't like them they just didn't get that eaten anyways Aww. anyways next day uh or day or two later my husband and i are on a walk along the charlie lake trails and i look on these posts and 
throughout the posts on this trail are these green apples. And I'm like, what the fuck? They were, and I'm like, these are my apples. What? How, how did my apples get on this? Like, what is going on? So I mentioned it to the person's house that we went to for Thanksgiving. And she was just so embarrassed. And she said, well, no one ate them. So we didn't want to throw them out. So we wanted to give them to the to the birds. And I, I just thought it was fucking hilarious. That actually. is really funny. Okay. Yeah. That is, yeah. Just wait till you, anyway. Okay, continue. So, Proceed. Um, Alex is like, I'm going to go put these peaches as a return gift. Because maybe okay. maybe whoever offered me these green apples are upset that I didn't take them or something. Okay. Right? They're like, I, they really want them so to have So he like walks out to, like I said, where the road mainly is. And there's like a little stump and he puts the peaches on there and then they just go about their evening they continue the fire continue mm -hmm. enjoying the river alex goes and checks on them a Dutch couple rotary. times okay. and nothing happens they're they're just still chilling so they go to bed um they wake up the next day um they did describe hearing like something hitting a tree when he first like put the peaches out actually i forgot to mention that when he okay. went to like first go put the peaches out he said it sounded almost as if somebody had like slapped a log that was kind of like, the best sound that he could describe it but that could be anything falling shifting you know it's the woods yeah <laughs> so he nature did hear something when he originally put the peaches down but he kept checking and there was like the peaches never left okay. so like i said they go to bed they go um they wake up in the morning and wake instead, up in the morning and i look outside <laughs> and, and my I, peaches are there <laughs> and i cry, cause I I cry. <laughs> so they go up and um instead of going i guess like when they originally came in they had come from like a left turn they decided to take the right turn to kind of do like a okay. loop out a little more sightseeing not a larry but a ralphie yeah so they take a randy or a randy and um as they do colin exclaims dude what the fuck like super exclamatory if, yes. if you have to bleep me out just bleep me out um sticking out of the ground is a large stick with both of the apples pierced what? through the sticks i really do wish people could see my face uh -huh. the second what? you said your apples were pierced through sticks i was like ah! <laughs> yeah what the yeah so um this... maybe my man I gotta ask Roland. Maybe she was in the area at that time. Yeah, and, and the thing is, apples. is like as they packed up. Wait, apples, but not the peaches. So the peaches, the peaches are still chilling on the stuff. Are still chilling, but now. And Alex even went and looked before they packed up. He like peeked at the peaches. They were there. Okay. Finished packing up. Maybe five minutes. They drive uh -huh. away, and now there's a stake with two apples shoved through, sticking okay. out of the ground next to the stump where the peaches are. Okay, we got an escalation of the apples here. Hugely. Um. So they pull over to investigate and as because like i said alex had been there not even five minutes before and these apples were freshly stabbed they could see that they were fresh there was no browning like they were still juicy as if someone had just cored them okay. onto this stick um on another note too like i mentioned they had the dog the whole time this pupper never sensed anything was never like something okay. weird the pupper was never like because usually you know, that's the first thing i always hear about exactly and this dog didn't react to anything was never Un, like never had any kind of had nothing trade that dog in yeah so Just kidding. alex um continues in the episode stating that when they actually returned home they tried to recreate stabbing the apples the same way that it was on that stick and they found it was actually quite hard they probably went through about 10 apples before they were successful in doing it because they probably just split splitting. 
Exactly. So you need to have great force and like very quick and very fast for it to pierce without splitting. Yeah, because it has to pierce the core. Exactly. Okay. So um, physics. <laughs> they just were like, whoever pierced the apples were strong. That scared me. That scared me too. Your pop, pop bottles bottle. popped. Um, so whatever. Oh, oh, I just, is that why they call them pop bottles? No, it's because it's pop in the bottle. Okay, continue. So they did the practicing with the apples. They ran through about 10 apples to, and because like I said, they kept splitting apart mainly. And they even found that they had to like hammer them down to get them like to the space and the, the kind of positioning that they okay. were. So they just decided like whoever did this originally was extremely strong and extremely fast. And I quote, A vampire? You're incredibly fast and strong. Your skin is pale and ice cold. It was Edward the whole time. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, Edward Christ. was mad about his apples. No. Oh my god. Janelle, you had me going. I was like, I knew all along. My instincts um, were correct. They also talked about and speculated how it would have been really hard for someone to have run up into the camp, placed the apples, and then ran away. And then like come back in, stolen the apples, and like ran away. Yeah, and there's like, no motorized was vehicle. Moving, no, whoever and if it was a human. How, what? How bold of a person how do you have to you? be to and be like why, sneakily actually, make like you want to spook someone? That's funny. I, a, I think it's, it's hilarious. It's something I would probably do. Actually, but how could they have never heard them? The dog never sensed them. Like nothing. Yeah, no, that's and it was weird. overnight. Okay, hold on. I have a theory. Okay, it's the babushka lady. It's <gasps> the lady from the thrift store. Yeah, she knows where they are. She mm-hmm. followed them it's out the there. And she is in the bush. She yeah. is the bush. Yeah. The thing is, with all of this, um, at the end of the day, Alex and Colin did not feel that the stabbed apples was menacing. Okay. They, they actually felt, vibe. they didn't feel it was aggressive. They actually felt like it was like a welcoming, like a Do peace offering. False sense of security. Peace offering. Um, so they went back. Well, of course they did. And they camped there They're for two white nights. men. They probably, they have no fear. Um. So okay, yeah. three nights. And uh, we're going to get into that their next day Jeez. on our next ah, ah, <laughs> um, A really cool thing, though, in between their first camping and their last camping, um, Alex built this amazing Sasquatch sculpture out of driftwood. And it is um, currently on an island. Where is it? In my butt. It is on um, Quadra Island. Quadra Island. Yes. I might go and there this it's, summer. It's <gasps> gorgeous. Have I'm going to go meet them. Do you want to see a I'm going to become friends with Alex. And... and look at his beautiful oh. work. It's like, Whoa. it's super huge. Like it is. Yeah. He okay. is a badass. Alex is a badass and his woodworking is very amazing. cool. I'm, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Oh, cool. So he built that after their first experience. And, um, and then, yeah, they decided to go camping again. And we'll we'll oh. dive into that in our next spooky corner. I'm excited. Thanks for now. You're so welcome. All right, guys. So check out our social media if you want to see some pictures of that Sasquatch. Yes. And uh, I'll have some pictures of the yeah, uh, Yukon Trail as well. Please. If you want to see Alex's work too, I'm also going to include a Perfect. little link to his direct work. He does custom work. You can see other things he's done. Um, and then I'm also would like to add that link if you guys want to see the other gentleman that I spoke of who believes that he has been gifting bet- with a Sasquatch for multiple years. Oh, I'm probably going to become friends with him. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> my my dad also likes to whittle sculpt wood. Cool. I'll put a picture of what he does um, because every Christmas he's, he sends his children wooden Christmas trees that look like butt plugs. I kid you that is it's amazing 
It's oh, it's a wooden butt plug. Papa. That's so funny. And we didn't know if we should tell him or not. And we eventually did tell him. And then he leaned into it. Yeah, it's a thing. And now, now they're just extra buddy. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so check us out on Instagram, Secrets of the North Podcast, um, Secrets of the North underscore Podcast. I'm guessing I don't even know. I can't and now we have a website. Mm-hmm. It's Secrets of the North Podcast at uh, no, it's not even. It's Secret of the North Podcast dot Weebly dot com. There we go. Secrets of the North Podcast dot Weebly dot com. Secrets of the North underscore Podcast in your butt on Instagram. Where can people find you, Janelle? princess lizard the a is a four on insta nice and i am e to the underscore g on instagram and that's all you love frisky little fellers thanks so much for listening yeah bye-bye love you Thanks for listening to this EnergeticCity.ca podcast. EnergeticCity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join.